spoke. Maybe it's the opposite of that. Maybe it's different than that. And we're going to look at a few texts that are just the, what we call the most commonly misunderstood texts in Scripture. So we're going to just spend some time doing that. The reason we're doing that is because we want, to re, we want to learn how to be good students of the Word and good readers of the Word. If you have a particular sport that you want to excel at, and you've got one particular thing that you're doing wrong that throws you off, it's a hitch in your golf swing, or it's a stumble on the basketball court because you're putting the wrong foot down, or it's the way you're kicking the soccer ball. You're doing it wrong, and because you're doing it wrong, it's just a little thing, it's a small thing, but it has big consequences. And if you care about the sport, if you're passionate about it, you want to get it fixed. So people spend thousands of dollars getting coaches to tell them how to fix their golf swing. I've, I've saved many, many, many thousands of dollars over the years because I don't care about my golf swing. And uh, it's pretty bad, as far as I know. It's pretty awful, but I don't care. We might not care very much, but I want us to, about reading upside down, about coming to something like the Word and not having the right approach, and it gets us off. It skews the results. How do we have the results skewed when we read the Scripture? So this morning we're going to start off. Uh, I'd like you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and I'll read this passage to you. Tell me if you can think of the verse that is often misunderstood or misquoted or misused from this text. It's not the easiest text to understand, not the easiest text to relate to, but there's some parts of it that are very commonly quoted. 1 Corinthians 10. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore... Let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has taken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak to a sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Let's pray again. We have your word. We've read it. It's open before our eyes. 
perhaps our hearts are not open to it. Perhaps our mind has not understood it. Perhaps we are unwilling to hear it. May these things not be true of us this morning. We would heed the warning to flee from idolatry. But we want to understand how we get into that. How, do, how does it overtake us? What happens to us in the midst of temptation and the craving that Paul speaks of here for the Israelites? Where do our cravings lead us? And how, Lord, do we handle them? Do we approach them? We ask you to teach us. We ask you to help us. I, as teacher this morning, I am insufficient. We, as listeners this morning, we are all insufficient. We cannot do this alone. We cannot do this ourselves. We have thought about our music. We have thought about our format. We have thought about our community. We have thought about what we're doing here on this Sunday morning. But nothing that we have planned will be of any value if you are not in it. Walk with us through it. Teach us. And be our shepherd. Save us. In Jesus, I pray. Amen. We're doing this series not just so that we can be cool and say, we get it right. There's something to be said for something interesting, something that we're all a little bit interested in when people are doing it wrong and we get to tell them. You're doing it wrong and I'm going to tell you the right way to do it. There's a whole section of internet life that's devoted to hacking life and, and so much of it starts with you're doing it wrong. You're peeling that banana wrong. You're doing it wrong. You're parking your car wrong. Let me show you the right way to do it. And so often when I read those things, I think, no, I'm not doing it wrong. You're an idiot. And that's me saying you're doing it wrong. And there's something that we like about feeling like I get it and you don't. But that's not why we're doing this series. We don't want to be those who can take a scripture passage and say we get it and others don't. We're not trying to be cool. We're trying to find a way that we commonly misunderstand and misapply. Is there a verse that jumped out at you from the passage we read? Is, was there a verse that was familiar to you? And I'm not going to ask you to tell me what it means. Because I'm not going to say, well, no, you got it wrong. And you might not have gotten it wrong. But was there a verse that jumped out at you? Anyone? I've heard lots of... Sandy? The one about temptation. No temptation has taken you. Such as is common to man, to humanity. And he will with the temptation... What? I'm, I'm, I'm continuing <laughs> with the temptation. Uh, yeah. He won't let us be tempted beyond what we are able. Right. Which we commonly quote as, he won't give you more than you can handle. 
He won't give you more than you can handle, which we sometimes like to use as a comforting thing. Someone is in distress, and someone has just felt another blow, and they say to you, I don't think I can go on anymore. I don't think I can do this anymore. And we say, you know what? I just want to tell you, God won't give you more than you can handle. God won't do that to you. So you're going to be all right. You're going to be able to handle this. You're going to be able to go through it. Which isn't particularly helpful. That, that's, that's not something where we hear it and go, oh, good, I'm going to be strong enough. I was afraid I was going to be too weak, but I'm going to be strong enough. We're not going to be strong enough. And actually, the whole point of so much scripture is that God always gives us more than we can handle. Isn't that the point of being sheep in need of a shepherd? Isn't that the point where Paul says our strength is perfected in weakness? Isn't that where in our weakness we glorify the cross and we say God is enough for me? Not that I am enough. Not that I can handle this. But that God is enough. But it's right here in the Bible. It's right here in that text. God won't give you beyond your ability. Argue with that. But how does that reconcile with that moment when you feel like this is more than I can take? Has any of you, have any of you ever felt that? Have any of you ever been in a moment, a crisis in your life, where you just go, I don't think I can do this anymore. I don't think I can take one more thing. And you know what almost always happens when you think that to yourself? I can't do one more thing. What almost always happens next? You get one more thing. There's a knock on the door. There's a chirp on your phone. There's a notification that pops up. And you have one more thing. And often, it's worse than all the things that happened before that. I'll never forget, and I've shared this with you before, but I'll never forget counseling a young woman in our church who had been through so much in just a matter of days and she said to me, Pastor, I can't take any more. I'm at my end. I cannot take one more thing. But the reason I was talking to her is because there was one more very, very large thing that I had to share with her that was going to shatter so much of her world. And I'm thinking, how is she going to do this? How is she going to take it? Think of Job. In one day... While one messenger is yet speaking, another. He lost his possessions. He lost his family. He lost his children. He lost everything in an instant. It just keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming. And many of you have laughed with me about the expression that bad things always come in threes. And we've, we've kind of got a little joke going about that now, right? You kind of get it. Because it's true. Bad things do come in threes and fours, and fives, and sixes, and sevens, and pairs, and they just keep coming. Jesus said, every day has a sufficiency of evil. So it's always there. And so then, when we hear this, and we go, well then, I, I, I don't know if I can handle it, and if he's not giving me more than I can handle, and I have to be able to handle this, can't he just leave me alone like... I don't want to be stressed. I don't want to be pressed 
to the absolute end of my ability. I don't want you to tell me, no, what, you can actually take just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. We don't want that. I don't want God up there saying, oh, can you take a little bit more? Let's, let's give him just, let's, let's, have a, let's have him a little bit more. No, I think he's not going to survive. I think he can. Give him a little bit more. A little bit more trouble. I had a job for a very short period of time, really short period of time, unloading aluminum siding off a truck. And when I interviewed for the job, the man said, well, how much can you carry? And I was raised on a farm, and I threw bales of hay up high up on the trailer, and I was like, man, I'm, I'm strong. I can handle a lot. <laughs> and he said, show me. So, like, lift. Can you, can you lift a box of aluminum siding? I don't remember what they weighed, but they're, they're not light. They're quite heavy. And I thought, I'm going to show them. So, like, one, two, three. I'm hearing three boxes and he's, he's duly impressed. And he's like, okay, you got the job. While we're unloading the truck, I'm carrying three boxes off the truck. Everyone else is carrying two. Some people are carrying one. And I thought, hmm, well, I'll get paid three times as much. This is my own version of the workers in the vineyard story. All right, I'm going to get paid three times as much as that guy. He's only carrying one box off the truck. At the end of the day, when it came time to pay, we all got paid the same amount. This is my worker in the vineyard story. And I thought, this isn't right. This isn't fair. I carried three times as much as they did, and I was feeling it. Let me tell you, I was, I was in agony. I was in pain three, day, or three, three boxes all day. And I spoke to the man, and he said, everybody carries what they're able. And I thought, oh, so... If I'd, have, if I'd have shown you that I could only carry one, I could have just gotten through the day carrying one at a time and gotten paid the same amount. And I felt a little bit like, this is not right. This is not fair. Now, I understood the other point of view, too. Like, everybody's carrying what they're able. We sometimes feel like God's up there and saying, you know what? I think you can handle a little bit more. You've been growing in your faith. You've been going to Bethel, and you've been getting really well taught because the preacher there is just awesome. You, you're getting a little bit more and a little bit more. I think you can handle some more. Let's load another box on you. And you go, no, I want to be weak. I, wanna, I can't take anymore. Can, can we just say that my limit was three boxes ago? I don't want to do any more. I want to be weaker. I want to be left alone. But we're aware that God's strength is perfected in weakness. And when I am weak, it's more than I am strong. And we realize that more than I can bear is the fact of life. Well, let's go to the context and see if we can understand this. What Paul's referring to here is what happened in Numbers chapter 21. And if you want, you might turn back to Numbers 21 and we'll read that portion of Scripture. You might remember it. Paul says, I want you to be free from idolatry. The context here in 1 Corinthians 10 it's when they asked him about food offered to idols. And he moves into a whole description of idolatry and what idolatry is all about. You think he's gotten off track, but he hasn't gotten off track at all. And he's bringing it back down. And he's saying, look, the whole thing is about what is your help? Where is your hope? Who is your God? In Numbers chapter 21, 
We read, started in verse 4. The, is, the children of Israel are moving through the wilderness. And they've been moving through by the direction of God, following the pillar of fire by night, the pillar of cloud by day. And from Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. And then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. They were impatient. They were frustrated. Why? First of all, there had been a long time in the wilderness, and it's not pleasant. And secondly, they're tired of the food that came from heaven every day to feed them. This loathsome food. They were sick and tired of manna. Now we can read other portions about that at another time when they complained to God. Numbers 11, for example, about that. When they complained to God about manna. Now, God's provision was that they had enough for every day. They didn't have to work. They didn't have to toil. They had to go out and gather it and eat it. They had enough every day. Every day, bread fell from heaven enough for them to eat. They didn't have to slaughter their own flocks. They didn't have to kill their own cattle. Bread fell from heaven. God's providing, God's giving them what they need, but they are despising it. And they are frustrated and impatient at the way that he's taking them, the route that is taking them around Edom, which God has his purpose for that. They're frustrated, and they say to Moses, why did you bring us here to die in the wilderness? There's no food, there's no water, there's just this loathsome food. I, 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 I shudder when I read that. Can you imagine this loathsome food, this manna from heaven? We despise it. I shudder when I read that, but if I reflect for a little bit, will you reflect with me? How often have we turned to God and said, I despise your provision. I am not happy with the way you're running this operation. I am not pleased, God, with your plan for my life. I am not happy with you at all. Have you ever been unhappy with the way in which God's controlling, God's managing, God's providing in your life? And they are impatient and frustrated. There are two reasons that we get that way. There are two reasons that we go, I can't do this anymore, I'm done, I quit. One, we get that way when we feel like, I'm fine. I don't need God's help. I don't need God's control. I don't need. 
I'm good. Things would be better if God just let me do things my way. If God just, like, I know how things ought to be, and if I could just do my thing and do it my way and live life my way, everything would be happy. So God, let's do it my way from now on. The other reason that we get frustrated and impatient is, A, we say, I'm fine, I don't need God, and B, I'm buried, and God isn't helping. We either feel fine and proudful and arrogant and self-willed and grumbling about the fact that things aren't going our way, or we feel buried and despairing and broken and shattered because we can't do it. We cannot do it. So it seems that we're either prideful or fearful. We're either arrogant or despairing. We're either like full of self or just empty of everything and we cannot abide. And we go, God, I can't take one more thing. Pride or despair. You don't believe in spite of the evidence so you fall. When they said, why did you bring us out here to die? We were better off in Egypt. They were not better off in Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt that cried out to God for deliverance and prayed that God would deliver them. And when he did, they said, we despise your loathsome food. We had leeks and onions and garlic to eat in Egypt. We despise your way. I want it my way and... I don't want to die out here. I feel like I'm going to either be shattered or that I'm going to totally lose control. Either direction, pride or arrogance or despair, leads to idolatry and ruin. That's Paul's theme. That's where Paul has been. This isn't theoretical. It's life. Your pride or your fear will lead you to idolatry. Your pride or your fear about things not being under control, the life not being the way that you imagined, that you fantasized it should be, that life isn't turning out according to your will, will lead you to idolatry. And idolatry will lead you to the feasting of demons. This is where Paul's going to take this reading. Because behind every idol is a demon, the shattering, the ruination of your life. But they thought, I have no choice. God says, no temptation's taken you. That he will not along with the temptation also provide a way of escape. You may be able to go through it. There is a way through. There is a way for you to counter this. There is a way forward. He's not going to leave you in that spot where you go, I have no choice but to sin. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt like the only way forward is to do something that you shouldn't do? The only way forward is to lie. The only way forward is to steal. The only way forward is to take, to devour, to push someone down to murder Paul, sorry not Paul, Saul King Saul, first king of Israel 
is instructed to wait seven days and then Samuel will come and his kingship will be verified, be affirmed. He waits, but while he's waiting, the Israelites are deserting from the army and the Philistines, their enemies, are increasing. Day after day after day, the situation gets worse until at the end of the sixth day, Saul says, I couldn't do it any longer. I couldn't do it. I had to do something. I had to do something. Do you know how many times people have said to me <coughs> when their idolatry has reached in and broken their life, I had to do something. I couldn't go on the way that it was. I had no choice. And this is what Paul's after, is that God wants us to see, God wants to remind us that he never leaves us in that place. Saul said to Samuel, but you didn't come. He was on his way. And as God had said, everything was working out according to the promise. But he said, you didn't come. God, you weren't there. And Paul says to the Corinthians, he will never take you anywhere that he cannot bring you through. He won't leave you. You feel buried. He's not going to walk away and leave you buried in a hole with no way through, no way out. He isn't going to cast you into despair and leave you there. There is always a way to trust. There is always a way to hope. There is always a way to cast yourself in the care of God. Trust is the way. So what we have here is two issues. Will you trust God or will you pridefully despair? Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Will you fall? Will you sin to find a way out? Will you give yourself to idolatry? This isn't God being our tempter. Because here it says, God tempts us. But James tells us that God never tempts us. What James is telling us is that God isn't a tempter who's tempting us to sin. What Paul is telling us is that God gives us these trials. But God isn't rooting for us to do something wicked. God is after us to recognize our great need of him. When we're at that moment when we go, I can't do anything. I have nothing left. I can't go on any longer. What do you do at that moment? What do you do when your hand is completely empty? When you have nothing left, when you are absolutely empty, what do you do? I'm actually asking you. Turn and face the Lord, Bill says. I've often told you what faith is. How do I describe faith? Faith is an empty hand that reaches towards God. We cry out, help me, help me. God will take us to the point where we cannot go on so that we will cry out, God help me. Because until that moment, you may be in the thrall of idolatry. Until that moment, you are serving yourself as God. You are serving your fantasy as God. And God says, cry out to me. He will bring you through. He knows the sea and the desert. He rides in the storm. And the good news is that here is where Jesus dies for us. Do you remember what passage Jesus talks to Nicodemus about? Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, 
tell me how I can enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus proceeds to talk to him about being born again. And Nicodemus says, well, how can that be? How can I be born again? That's beyond me. And Jesus said, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so, what? Anyone know this verse? Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up to draw men. And just as the serpent in the wilderness, so Jesus, and then the very next verse, the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16. Anyone know John 3.16? God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, God lifted up his son. Just at that moment when you're crying out and saying, I can't go on and I have despised you and I have despised your food and I am broken and I have sinned. God lifts up Jesus and says, look at him. Here's your way out. Here's your help. Here is your salvation. Your salvation will not be found in a winning lottery ticket. Your salvation will not be found in your boss calling you and saying, you know what, I've been overlooking you for years. You're probably the most valuable employee I have. Your salvation will not be found in your fantasy man or woman saying to you, you're it for me. Your fantasy won't be found in anything like that. Your fantasy will be found, your life will be found, not your fantasy, your life will be found when Jesus is lifted up, there he is. This is your help. This is your salvation. This is your good news. Look to him. He will give you more than you can handle. And as he does, he will invite you to rely upon him. And he will not leave you. He will bring you through. He will bring you to glory. Let's pray. you help us to commit to lovingly embrace our helplessness and our need and our Savior. Just looking up to the serpent on a pole and they're saved. We look up. We look up to you. We turn our hearts to you. We turn our prayers to you. Oh God, save us. Help us, we pray. In Jesus we ask you.